Hey everyone, Peter Zine here coming to you from my favorite front range foothills trail. It's called the Golden Banner. I can see uh, in the south all the way to Castle Rock, in the north all the way to the Red Rocks Amphitheater, which is a great place to see a show, by the way. Uh, I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do. I'm going to talk about the haters. Uh, yesterday I released a video, or I guess it would be this morning, uh, released a video on why the Russians blew up the Kakova Dam, and people came out of the woodwork to say I, doesn't, I didn't know what I was talking about, and obviously it was the Ukrainians. Um, just to give you a quick refresh, two things. Number one, uh, the Ukrainians are starting their counteroffensive, and by blowing up the dam, what the Russians have done is they've made a direct crossing at the dam impossible, obviously, but they've also made an amphibious landing on either side of the dam on the river impossible because the reservoir above the river is now draining very, very quickly. And independent of that being a dangerous environment, it's going to leave behind a muddy bed, uh, which is going to be very difficult to get any vehicles across. And then south of the river, everything is flooded. And when the waters do recede a couple weeks from now, Again, very, very muddy and difficult to move. So any sort of amphibious landing is going to be impossible. Uh, in addition, most of the thrust probably is going to be south from Zaporizhia towards the Sea of Azov. And in that sort of scenario, Russian forces are going to have a choice of going one or two directions. They can go east to the Donbass and get back to Mother Russia, or they can go southwest and cross over into the Crimean Peninsula. If the Ukrainians had been able to capture the Kokova Dam rather than have it destroyed, they had the chance of actually cutting those forces off. And then you might have tens of thousands of encircled Russian troops that would have to surrender. And the global hit to Russian power from that would have been immense. That is now completely off the table. So from a purely military perspective, the Russians made a wise move. Uh, there's also a long-term economic issue. Uh, a million acres of southern Ukraine is no longer getting irrigation water because it was, came from that reservoir. Water levels now drop below the levels of the canals, so they're dry. Aside from a few pockets of dry wheat, that's it. So you've just taken the single largest chunk of agricultural land in history offline all at once. Yikes. Anyway, uh, back to the dam. Uh, this might seem kind of simple, but uh, dams are giant pieces of reinforced concrete that are hundreds of feet thick at the base. This thing's 1,500 feet from one side to the other. It's at least 200 feet thick, probably thicker. Soviets didn't keep good data on that for the rest of us. And you don't just throw a few bombs at this. If you want to take out the dam from the air, you attack the weak points. Those are specifically the control gates uh, and the navigation locks that you have on both sides up and below. That's not what was hit. If the navigation locks were hit, that would be where the water is flowing through. They're high and dry now. Uh, and if the control gates were hit, that wouldn't have necessarily led to a structural failure across the entire length of the dam, which is exactly what we're seeing. Now, this thing was blown up from the inside, specifically with tons of explosives, specifically located in the turbine room. And for the Ukrainians to have done that, they would have had to have launched an attack on the dam. Somehow the Russians who had been preparing for this for a year, didn't notice, and then uh, managed to smuggle like two cargo trucks worth of explosives and place them and uh, hit the trigger. No, 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 no. Uh, you're also not going to do this with 500-pound bombs, or at least not one or two. So, you know, the, the other aircraft idea is like a direct attack on the dam. Well, I mean, number one, that requires aircraft, and there is no indication of aircraft or anti-aircraft fire in this area that night. And you're not going to do it with one plane. You're going to do it with several because it takes a lot to crack one of these suckers open. 
And then third, the Ukrainians don't have fighter bombers. I mean, they inherited a few from the Soviet Union. They had at the beginning of the war. They haven't been flying in them because they're not any good in the dogfight role. And they don't have the bombs that would be necessary anyway. So you're talking about, what, multiple dumb drops with weapons that they don't have from platforms that they really don't fly? I I'm sorry. The people who say that this was Ukraine are just headless at this point. Anyway, well, I guess that's the whole point. They're bots or trolls. So, uh, this was definitely the Russians. One more thing, and yes, sometimes dams fail, but there's always warning. You'll have cracks, you'll have leaks. They don't fail catastrophically overnight. And yeah, 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 this has been in a war zone, but it's not like it's been under attack. And for it to all fail catastrophically from within on the day that the Ukrainians are starting their counteroffensive, yeah, no. Hey everybody, Peter Zion here coming to you from the campus of the University of Toronto. It is June 6th and the news today is that the Russians have blown up the Katkova Dam, which uh, is at the head of a large reservoir on uh, Ukraine's central river, the Dnieper. Um, the reason I, well, it was blown up from the inside, so it was definitely the Russians. It wasn't an external explosion, so there's really no controversy there. And the fact that after I tweeted it out, uh, I got uh, just an avalanche of uh, Russian bots saying otherwise pretty much proves the point for as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, regardless of why it's gone, uh, four things that matter out of this. First of all, uh, from a purely military point of view, like putting humanitarian issues to the side, we'll get to that later, uh, this is a reasonable play. Um, the Ukrainians are getting ready for a significant military offensive, and at least in part that was going to involve a series of amphibious strikes across the Dnieper River, both above and below the dam. That probably can't happen now. Uh, the reservoir behind it is huge, and it's going to take a few days for it to drain, and then it's going to expose muddy lake bed. And downstream, you're talking about massive flooding, which when it finally goes down a week or two from now, uh, will also be incredibly muddy. So the offensive to this point has been delayed because of spring melt and winter rains and all of the mud that goes with that. You've basically taken this entire zone and made it no-go for at least a month. Now, later on, when the river is lower, it might be easier to cross, but for the here and now and for the next few weeks, absolutely not. So if you're Russian, there's some certain logic to destroying the dam. It's also the only crossing on the river in the lower section. So you've now removed even a theoretical place for the Ukrainians to punch across the river on land or reinforce with amphibious salts from elsewhere. So, number one. Number two, there's a concern upstream of the uh, Zapranitsia nuclear power plant because it drew its coolant water from the reservoir. Now, uh, we've poked into this a little bit, and the folks at the IAEA are not hugely concerned about this. They think there's a good backup system in place. But whenever I hear lack of coolant water nuclear power plant, I do get a little nervous. So it's probably, probably not a crisis. Um, we'll see. Third... Uh, we should expect to see more activities like this. This is not the only crossing. There was a bridge to Kyrsten that the Russians blew up when they were retreating last summer. And if you go upriver to Zapranitsa, there is a double bridge system along with another dam, which creates another reservoir. And so we should definitely expect the Russians to repeat the feat there with similar outcomes, although not as much. It's not as big as a reservoir. Uh, and for similar reasons. But it's the fourth and biggest reason uh, that I find most... Interesting isn't the right word, but illuminating as to what Russian thinking is. The Kakova Reservoir it raises the level 
of the river and allows four different canal systems to be fed with irrigation water. And three of those systems are absolutely critical for growing crops in southern Ukraine and the Crimea. Now, I've always believed that the Ukrainians were going to disable or destroy one of those systems, the one that specifically serves Crimea, in order to force a siege on the peninsula. But with that reservoir now gone, none of these systems can access water. And you're talking about territory that is responsible for growing about one quarter of Ukrainian crop. So in a stroke, the Russians have shown us two things. Number one, they really don't plan on holding this territory in the near term. And so they're going with an old strategy that's kind of scorched earth, which is designed to make it as difficult as possible for anyone who takes the territory to hold it. Because we're talking now about number two, a country that used to be one of the world's major breadbaskets, going to become a net food importer on the verge of at least a regional famine in the not-too-distant future. Or for those of you who are familiar with Russia's history in Ukraine, triggering a regional famine again. I'll try to have better news tomorrow. everyone, Peter Zine here coming to you from rainy Colorado. It's been our wettest spring on record, and we're about to get a half an inch a day for at least the next three weeks, so we. Anyway, uh, last Friday, and then over the weekend, we had a lot of interesting statements out of specifically Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Uh, the one that caught the most attention from people is actually pretty funny. And the statement is that... Uh, Russia asserts that it has the world's second most powerful military, and a number of people believe them. But now people are saying that Russia is the second most powerful military in Ukraine. Now, um, I got a good chuckle out of that one because the Russians are not doing very well, and the Ukrainian counteroffensive is clearly deep into shaping operations. Uh, but before you celebrate Russia's weakness... Uh, a little bit of history. I'm not going to talk about the weapons or the reserves or how many tanks the Russians have because, oh my God, they got so many. Instead, we'll look back at history. Uh, Russia has never been a capital-intensive power. It has always relied upon numbers to fight its war and for the weather to do a lot of the heavy lifting and for distance to inhibit the ability of its foes to function in its territory. What that leaves us with is a country that is both fragile and incredibly strong at the same time, historically speaking. And so when a country will come at the Russians with a technological advantage, especially when it involves movement, they, they will do great. Because once you break through the outer perimeter, if you can get fast and loose into Russian core territories, the Russians can barely move within their own territory. So whether it's the British at um, the Crimean War or the French in early 1800s, or the Poles during the Time of Troubles, or the Japanese in 1905. You know, it doesn't really matter what era of history you're looking at. You can find easily a major war where the Russians were absolutely crushed. But it's one thing to defe defeat Russia's armed formations, and it's quite another to eliminate Russia as a threat in the long term. One just requires hitting their troop concentrations and their logistics packages. The second requires root and branch ripping up much of the industrial level infrastructure 
and the entirety of the governing structure over a swath of territory that is the world's largest national landmass. So I understand what Blinken is after here. He's trying to rally the alliance to give a lot now when it's going to really make a big difference to the Ukrainians. This is going to be a critical year for them. But on the other side of this, we're going to have to deal with either a resurgent Russia or a very, very bitter Russia that still has a few thousand nuclear weapons. Uh, We're at the very beginning still of a very long process. And even if this goes every way that people who are rooting for the Ukrainians hope, and this really is the beginning and the end of the Russian system, uh, belittling them now isn't going to speed that process along outside of kind of the tactical boost that it gets from people giving more weapons in the short term. Anyway, word of warning, I'm, I'm still rooting for the Ukrainians here, still hoping, and actually I'm pretty confident that Russia will cease to exist as a country in my lifetime. Love to see that forward-loaded but I'd like to see it without a nuclear exchange, too. All right, that's it for me. Take care. Uh, Coming up, I'll argue that the FBI's insistence on hiding the name of the FBI whistleblower seems to suggest we have a mafia don in the White House. I'll highlight the Biden regime's complicity in the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. And attorney Kelly Shackelford joins me. We're going to talk about recent cases affirming religious liberty. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple or Google or Spotify, please subscribe to the podcast. I'd appreciate it. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. Times are crazy in a time of confusion, division, and lies. We need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. So it looks like uh, the FBI Director Christopher Wray is going to be held and voted in a contempt of Congress. I'll come back in a moment to what that means. But let's look at why. The House Oversight Committee was looking for, is looking for a document that ties the Biden family to a huge international bribery racket, a bribe that involves over $5 million that is supposedly from a single country. And there's a lot more around that. So this is a corruption on the grand scale. And the FBI knows about it. And the FBI appears to be hiding it. The FBI will not uh, show this document to the House Oversight Committee. And so Congressman James Comer has said, fine, if you won't do that, uh, remember, you are accountable to us. We have oversight over you. We are the legislative branch. We have separation of powers. And so your refusal is going to cause you to be held in contempt. Now, The um, FBI says that there is an ongoing investigation and therefore they need this document and they're relying on the confidential source who drew attention to this document. And so they're pretending like we can't give it to you because like we're really working on it. But hey, you can continue to work on it and still provide it to the congressional investigators at the same time. So this argument makes no sense. 
Then the FBI says, well, we uh, fear, and I'm quoting uh, Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, quote, just left meeting for House oversight. The FBI is afraid their informant will be killed if unmasked, based on the info he has brought forward about the Biden family. And this, of course, raises the question, can't the FBI protect somebody who's in danger like this? If the FBI can't protect them, who can? What's the point of like witness protection and all kinds of mechanisms that we have for protecting people who are in a vulnerable position? But to me, the even more interesting question is when it says they're afraid the informant will be killed, killed by whom? Killed by the Democrats? (laughs) Killed by Schumer? Killed by Pelosi? Killed by Biden himself? Does Biden have a, a group of goons at his disposal that he can unleash? Hey, listen, rub out that guy. Uh, of course, we heard rumors about all this going on in the Clinton years as one after the other Clinton critics dropped dead. Uh, and there were theories unsubstantiated, but nevertheless, the Clintons must have this kind of assassination squad at their disposal. Uh, I'm not saying they do. But the point I'm trying to make is how can the FBI say this with a straight face? Uh, do we have a murderer in the White House that we need to worry about? All of this is the unavoidable implication of saying, hey, gee, we can't tell you about this Biden corruption because that guy, the whistleblower is, we fear he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, finished off. Now, Congressman Raskin, the Democrat, and a number of media outlets, including the Washington Post, have said, wait a minute, this is all a lot of ado about nothing because this investigation has already occurred and it is now closed. The FBI found there was nothing there. And this is, in fact, factually untrue. In fact, of all people, it was the former Attorney General Bill Barr who came out and said, no, it's not closed. We actually took this investigation, which is open, and we referred it to the FBI in Delaware to look into it. And so the idea that this was a closed, this was a done deal, this was a settled investigation, it turns out that there was, there may have been little smoke, but there was no fire. This turns out not to be factual at all. So the Democrats here with their media allies are covering uh, for Biden. And, and this is really the familiar triangle, isn't it? Uh, Debbie and I were talking about this triangle, and it's a triangle with the police agencies of government. That's one point of the triangle. Then you have the Democrats. And then you have the media and the three work in coordinated fashion. Let's remember they work in coordination to try to frame Trump. They've worked in coordination to promote digital censorship. They're now working in coordination to protect the corruption of uh, the Biden uh, family. So uh, I know that there are conservatives who go, so what? Well, yeah, they're going to hold a ray in contempt of Congress. But does that mean the guy's going to have to step down? Does that mean he's going to have to go to jail? Uh, No, it doesn't mean that. But here's what it does mean. When you hold somebody in contempt of Congress, uh, you then provide a referral to the DOJ to prosecute them. Now, this is at the DOJ's discretion. And so my prediction is the DOJ looks at it and they go, well, we don't think that there's a good reason. Because why? Because Merrick Garland is basically Biden's consigliere. So he's part of the corrupt circle himself. But if he refuses to act on this contempt of Congress citation, then I think you can begin impeachment proceedings both against Ray and against Merrick Garland. And that means you have an impeachment vote in the House. You have a trial in the Senate. And all of this is a magnificent way. This will be, it is unavoidable for the major media to have to put cameras in there to cover this. So this is a way to bring everything to center stage and everything before the American people. A big part of our case in 2024 is to to showcase to the American people the wickedness of this regime 
regime, the wickedness of these police agencies of government, the wickedness of the media. So we've got gangsters basically to a large degree running the country. It's just seems uh, disheartening to have to say it, but there it is. Gangsters running the United States. In that sense, we're not that different than third world despotisms. Yeah, we have a lot of the tra- outward trappings uh, of uh, democracy and the outward trappings of legal procedure. Oh, yeah, look, there's a judge and he's wearing judicial robes and there's a jury. But at the end of the day, it's barbarism in terms of the actual content of what's going on. The U.S. government is now one of the most um, widespread purveyors of disinformation in the world. I'm not saying that we are number one. Maybe China is number one. Uh, there are many other sources of disinformation. But the idea that they put out disinformation and we put out truth is pure nonsense. Now, when the Nord Stream pipeline was blown up, um, the United States government came out and said, whoa, this is something that was done by Putin. This was done by Russia. And uh, Biden said this was a, quote, deliberate act of sabotage, deliberate act of sabotage. So Biden was basically saying that as far as he knew, as far as he knew, the Russians were behind this. Now, there's an article new in the Washington Post, quote, U.S. had intelligence of detailed Ukrainian plan to attack Nord Stream pipeline. And it says that although the Nord Stream pipeline was sabotaged in September of 2022, the CIA in June of 2022, months earlier, knew, not just knew in general they're going to do it, but had detailed plans of how they were going to do it. And this was then reported to the White House. So Joe Biden knew about it. So we can start with the simple fact that when Joe Biden goes out there with a straight face, this is a deliberate act of sabotage. He knew that the Russians were not behind it. Well, leave aside the fact that Russians have no motive to blow up their own pipeline. But he knew that it was our team, you could say, i.e. the Ukrainians, who supposedly had been planning to do this and were about to do it and then, in fact, went ahead. Again, I use the word supposedly, and I'll come back and explain why, did this. Now, let's think of what the U.S. government is now admitting. Our official position, our official position is that we knew that the special operations forces by the Ukraine were going to do this. But who are these special operations forces? Well, it turns out these are people that are being trained by us. So it's the U.S. military, it's our CIA that is working hand in hand with these special operations. We train them. And so we can't pretend that we have nothing to do with this. Even taking our official story at face value, the U.S. government is actively involved and actively involved in doing what? Think about the significance of this. It's not just an attack on the Russians. It's an attack on a pipeline that was part of a deal between Russia and Germany for Russia to sell oil to Germany. So we're blowing up the ability of one of our own allies, Germany, to have access to energy. And in fact, there was immediately following the blowing up of the pipeline, a kind of energy crisis um, and an energy shortage, which continues to this day in Europe. So this is, um, this seems uh, even, again, taking the official narrative at face value to be reckless, to be irresponsible, to be, to qualify to some degree as an act of international terrorism. And again, the defense that, well, we knew about it, we had the plans, these are guys that we have trained, but we didn't do it, uh, doesn't really make sense. 
there's a preposterous line here in the Washington Post article, uh, and that is the White House declined to comment on a detailed set of questions, quote, including whether U.S. officials tried to stop the mission from proceeding. So they're, they're not saying we tried to and they're not saying we didn't. This kind of coyness, I mean, and think about it. This article is based upon a straight-out leak from the intelligence agencies to the Washington Post. The Washington Post guy is like a typist. He's a stenographer. He's getting dictation from these agencies. This is what the article is. So what we're getting here into the guise of media is straight-out U.S. government uh, propaganda. But you know what's the biggest propaganda of all? I don't even think that any of what I just told you is even true. And what I mean by that is the idea that the Ukrainians, think about this. You have a country that is that is really thousands of miles away. The idea it's, it's a ten thousand mile journey from Ukraine to the site where the Nord Stream uh, pipeline was sabotaged. Are you telling me that uh, you, the Ukrainian Navy uh, was able to uh, undetected send these commandos and sail without anyone's knowledge? Ten thousand miles round trip blew up the Nord Stream pipeline with their own Navy SEALs? Well, guess what? The the Ukrainians don't have any Navy SEALs. And guess what? The Ukraine doesn't have a Navy. So there's no way they could have done this. My point is that the United States, I think, is behind this. Uh, We're trying to blame it on the Ukrainians. They're the ones who were invaded. They're the ones who had to fight back. But the, the, the truth of it is even the official narrative, even the correction to the official narrative that's being put out today doesn't make any sense at all. Well, and let's push it forward to your election in 2022, because a lot of patriots out there who have downloaded the song said, look, I love the song, but you guys should be talking and you are. So nobody can question you. But you guys in the media should be talking more about what's beneath that song, which is the actual fraud. So I want to put up before guys, uh, the Carrie Lake War Room posted this about your attorneys filing a notice for appeal uh, because of this Arizona court. We all looked at it. Um, and they were shown from experts that the average was like two and a half seconds that they were approving these signatures on the contested ballots, which can't happen. It can't possibly work. Uh, but you're saying that members of the team now have video evidence to support claims of alleged misconduct in Maricopa County. It was not available before uh, the court case. And the quote, the people who committed the crime against the people held that information. Uh, how explosive is this new evidence? Let's put it on the table and talk about it. Well, the evidence and the data that we were able to finally get our hands on, because, you know, we're having to sue Maricopa County, and then we're having to beg to get the evidence and information through public records requests, and we finally got access to the information called the system log files, and we found out that they ran these three secret testing days where they knew, and it showed that the machines would fail at close to 60%, roughly 58%, and then surprise, surprise, they put those machines that they knew would fail out on election day in Republican areas, which is why we had a quarter of a million ballots spit out and rejected on election day. These system log files show a lot more than just that. And as we dig through them, it will make your blood boil what's going on in our elections. And if they think we're going to stop, we're going to continue to push it. And yes, there is video. They have 24 hour monitoring. And uh, some of the good guys have recorded that video. 
And, you know, all you have to do is take the system log file, which shows every single movement on those machines. It's every, you know, keystroke of what they've done with elections. And you match it to the video timestamp and you can see it with your own eyes. So I'm not going to reveal everything that we have, but more is going to come out. If they think this is going away, if they think the good people of Arizona will sit back while these folks run another election, stealing and Trump trampling on our sacred vote, they've got another thing coming. We're going to continue to reveal more and more evidence of what they're doing. And while we may not have the judges with the courage to do the right thing, we are showing it to the people. And the people have had enough. And so just wait. We've got more Mm -hmm. coming down the pike. We are going to appeal and we are going to continue to move forward. And it's going to get very uncomfortable for these folks. I'm sure they're feeling the drumbeat, hearing it loud and i hope to god they wake up in the middle of the night with the terror of what they did to the people with guilt and with shame because they really should they really should. should people tried to get informed about that other people shame them they would say please tell me you're not going to do your own research You've heard people say that. Please don't do your own research. You know, before COVID, doing your own research used to be called reading. (laughs) Now you're shaming me for reading? At the behest of Big Pharma? It's like I woke up in the middle of a Bill Hicks bit. Well, looks like we got ourselves a reader. Tell me, boy, what you reading for? Don't you know everything that needs to be read has already been readed by a smart person? That's how much people internalized the propaganda from Big Pharma was that they would shape, they would be anti-intellectual enough to shame people for reading while they're wagging their finger at them for doing it. You would never shame people for trying to get informed, no matter what other subject it was, no matter how unimportant. Like if I say, "Hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go buy a car," don't look into it. Well, how will I know which car to get? Ask the salesman, he's the expert. (laughs) What are you, Henry Ford? (laughs) 